Our text for this morning is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And this is God's holy word for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, would you, right now, this afternoon, in a small church in Las Vegas, through the internet, however you want to do it, Lord, would you do glorious, miraculous things as your people have gathered here to sit under the preaching of your word? Would you, God, move in us to teach us and grow us and shape us and make us magnify you? That I plead with you, Lord, that you will do things we could never imagine by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. While you're seated, by the way, I'll take a quick poll. How many of you are in homes right now that are decorated for Christmas? Yeah, 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 okay. By this time of the year, you know, most folks have put up the trees and strung the lights. They've run the tinsel, all the rest. And Christmas songs, or you might call a lot of them just the winter season songs, if you depend on what they're singing about, they're in the air all around us, aren't they? And of course, the secular culture in which we live has pushed gift buying and the holiday sales like crazy too, right? Mm-hmm. So here's another poll question for you. How many of you find yourselves frustrated with the way that our culture handles Christmas? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the problem too. Isn't it amazing how badly the world can miss the meaning of an event that they say that they value? How do they miss it so badly? I would suggest to you that the reason that our society has missed what Christmas is about so badly is that our society has misunderstood completely who Jesus is. When you don't grasp who a person is, when you don't grasp why that person is significant, you're not going to respond to him correctly. If Christmas to you is only about a little baby born in a humble setting, you'll miss Christmas. If you only think of Jesus as a kindly man with good intentions and a message of love, you will eat, you'll actually miss Jesus. So this afternoon, I want to help us get Christmas right by beginning a new look at the person of Jesus. And instead of starting in the cattle shed that we sang about, instead of looking into an animal's feeding trough, this morning we will look, or this afternoon, we will look into eternity past. Because we need to see who Jesus is before Christmas so that we can be rightly amazed at Christmas. Make sense? Like I said, I'm thrilled that we're starting a walk through the gospel according to John. This is going to be a part of our lives in this church for many messages to come. And this book is going to show us Jesus. 
Now, John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. It was probably written late in the first century. I would suggest to you that it was written between 80, 85 and before 95 when John appears to have written his last bits. But again, there's differences of opinion on that. The Apostle John was old, and he would have been quite aware of what had already been written in Matthew and Mark and Luke. By the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels. You ever heard the term synoptic before? It's, it's from a Greek uh, two-word you know, compound word. Soon means together with or alike. And optic, well, what do you think optic means? What, what is your optic nerve? Where is it? It's in your eyes. It's to look. So together and to look means that the, that the synoptic gospels look alike. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they look alike. They feel very similar and they share a lot of the same basic content. But John, his telling of the gospel looks very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's almost like John said, I'm going to help the church see more of Jesus than what they've already seen in the three recorded gospels. And one commentary I read said that some 93% of what's in John's gospel is not found in the others. So this is a treasure for us. Now, we'll talk more about the structure of this book because it's amazing. We'll talk about how it differs from the other Gospels as we go further forward. But before we jump into our study of John, I just want to give you one thing. And that's the purpose for which John inspired this book. Pay attention to this because it will help you and me as we think about getting the identity of Jesus right at Christmas. So if you have your Bible, flip all the way to the end of John to chapter 20, not 21, but 20, so not quite to the total end, 21 verse 30. And this will tell you why did John, John 20, 30. It'll tell you why John wrote this book. And then we're going to go back to chapter 1 and get to work, okay? Now, John 20, 30, and 31 says, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, pay attention right here, so that, you see the so that? It means, here's why. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I'm curious, by the way, how many of you guys have the, the little Gospels of John's that you can take notes in that we had there on the back? Did you guys see those when you came in? If you did, this would be a great verse to highlight, that passage. That's what this book is about. If you're using your Bible, by the way, it's still a really good verse to highlight because that's what this book is about. John could have written all sorts of things about Jesus that he didn't choose to write. John could have included all the content of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John could have included a lot of personal info that John didn't give us. But John chose to write what he wrote for us for a singular purpose. John wants you to believe. John wants you and me and everyone who reads this book to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he wants us to believe in such a way that we have life in Jesus' name. This book 
is about Jesus. It's about showing you a proper picture of Jesus. It's about helping you believe in Jesus. And it's about helping you believe in Jesus in such a way that God saves your soul and gives you life by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So now let's go back to chapter 1 and let's take a look at how John opens his telling of the gospel because that's going to help us with Christmas because it's going to help us look not even back to Bethlehem, but we're going to look all the way into eternity past and it's going to introduce the real Jesus to us and I pray it'll help us believe and it'll help us find life. And I will tell you this, the entire point of the passage that we study today The entire point, the title of the sermon, is to make clear point by point, step by step, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's what this is about, and God wants you to see it. Jesus is not less than God, and we have to understand this glorious truth if we're going to understand Jesus. So, Let's get together. We're going to see seven true things about Jesus, all of which that point us to the fact that he is God. And the first four points we're going to find are in verses one and two. So are you ready? Because this is a new book. I want to be sure you're with me here. You with me? All right. Thank you. Point number one is Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Listen to one and two. I'll put them together here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in your brain, you will realize that the very first words of the Bible are what? In the beginning, right? You read them this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of John's gospel is supposed to mirror for you the opening of the whole Bible. Because back in Genesis 1-1, the Bible goes as far back into history as one can go. It looks to eternity past and says that at the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the universe that was created in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 It came into existence because it had a maker. The universe did not spin itself out of nothingness, right? It was made in the beginning. If you've ever heard Greg Kokel, he does apologetics. He says, if you want to believe in the Big Bang Theory, that's fine, but you have to believe there was a big banger to cause it to happen. You can't just have this something come out of nothing. That never, ever happened. The universe came into existence because it had a maker. It was made, and it was made in the beginning. And if the universe was made in the beginning, and it was made by God, then we must logically come to the conclusion that God was there before the beginning. And that tells you that God, the God we serve, is eternal. He has always existed. God simply is. And if you will forgive my grammar, God is before the beginning. He is the one who was there to make the universe. That's not new thinking for you, is it? I hope not. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, but guess what? In the beginning was the Word. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler here. I'm going to spoil the surprise for you. The Word here is a reference to Jesus Christ. We're going to see that clearly. You just look down at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only, begot, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 then says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we know who the word is, and you'll see it when it all ties together. But for now, understand what John is saying. John is saying something of tremendous significance. In the beginning, before there was anything, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, before anything was created, there was only God. And now we know in the beginning is Jesus, the Word. And that tells you Jesus is eternal. And that tells you Jesus is God. Now, in case someone wants to argue with you that Jesus was created by God in the beginning, your Mormons will tell you that. Your Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that. Recognize that the word in Greek herefore was, in the beginning, was the word. It's a very crucial word. The force, the tense of the word in the first clause is that in the beginning the word already was. That word does not have anything to do with something having been created. There's an entirely different Greek word that John uses to talk about things which came into being or which were made. We'll see that word in verse 3. But the word that he chose here in verse 1 is a word that simply indicates that at the very beginning, the word already was there. So ladies and gentlemen, there is only one being who has existed for all of eternity. Before anything was created, and that being who has existed for all of eternity before anything was created is God. And the Bible here says Jesus existed before eternity began, therefore we know Jesus is God. Let's go to our second point now. Jesus is the self-expression of God. Jesus is the self-expression of God. In the beginning was who? The Word. John calls Jesus the Word in Greek logos. Why? He could have just used Jesus' name here, couldn't he? In the beginning was Jesus would have worked a lot better for some of our brains. But instead he uses this term, Word. So we have to ask ourselves, what is Word. Now, there's many people who would complicate this section for you with discussions of the influence of ancient Greek philosophers. I believe the answer to why John used the term logos here is pretty simple. Think about this with me. What are your words? Are your words not how you express yourself to other people? If I want you to know me, if you wanted to get to know me and Heaven forbid, I can't imagine why you would, but if you wanted to get to know me, how would we accomplish this task? Would I have you perform a, a study of my physical attributes so that you know me? Would that help? Not really, no. Would I have you chemically analyze my enzyme and hormone levels? Would that really make you know me? No. 
nor would I try to, to pantomime for you my deepest inner feelings. That's not a skill of mine. If I want you to know the depths of who I am, if I want you to know my heart, if I want you to know me, I have to use words, don't I? Words are my expression of my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my desires, my needs. If you want to know me, you've got to hear my words or read them. And if you want to know God, how do you know God? You have to know God's word, God's self-expression, his communication of himself. Now, by the way, most of the time when we use the phrase God's word, we're talking about scripture. We're talking about your Bible, inspired holy word of God. But here in a very profound way, the expression of God's personality and thoughts is said to be in a person, Jesus. Now, quick theological caution for you. Years gone by, there was a type of thinking that was put forward by guys like Karl Barth that said that, see, the person of Jesus, if you know Jesus, that's on a higher level of authority than Scripture even. You know, the Bible's great, but you need to know Jesus as if that you could separate the two. That was called neo-orthodoxy. So if you ever hear the word neo-orthodoxy, you can understand that that's part of the belief system, the idea that you can somehow set Jesus at a higher level of, of authority than Scripture and know Jesus beyond Scripture. And that really was an attempt to combat a rejection of Scripture that was happening after the Enlightenment in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. But listen, when I tell you that Jesus as a person is the Word of God, I am not putting Jesus in opposition to or in any way contrasting Jesus with the Scriptures. We cannot ever develop right beliefs that we claim come from Jesus if those beliefs also are not clearly presented in the Holy Scriptures. So don't ever try to separate your knowing God from the Bible. It won't work, okay? Now, caution over. In the Old Testament, how did God create the world? What did he use? His word. He spoke. The word was that the world was there. When God wanted his prophets to speak his heart to the people, what did he do? It says, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah the prophet. Right? D.A. Carson says this about this whole expression. In short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. So why is Jesus the word? Jesus is the word because he is God's expression of himself. Do you want to know God? Then you've got to know Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God's glorious incarnate communication to mankind. And let's be very, very clear here. No way is anybody going to be allowed to be called the self-expression of God's person unless he is God himself. Thus, You and I need to let the fact that that John calls Jesus the Word help you to recognize that Jesus is God. And this should also give you a little bit of a challenge, Christians. We could do philosophy all afternoon, couldn't we? But this should challenge you to want to get to know Jesus. 
Because if you get to know Jesus, you get to know God. And as Christmas comes, what a great time for you to think about the person of Jesus. Don't get hung up just on a baby in a manger. That's a glorious thing, and I'm glad it's there. But learn, learn the person. Learn about Jesus' kindness. Learn of his mercy. Learn of his righteous anger against sin. Learn of his love. Learn of his holiness and his perfection. Learn of his power to change the universe. Learn of his willingness to step out of heaven to live in a hard world so that he might save your sinful soul. Learn Jesus as Jesus is clearly presented in the scripture and you will know God. Third point. Jesus has eternal fellowship with God. Third point is Jesus has eternal fellowship with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, verse 1, with God. Verse 2 says, He was with God in the beginning. So not only must we understand that Jesus is God because he existed in the beginning and that he is the self-expression of God, now we also have to understand that Jesus lives in eternal fellowship with God. Thus Jesus is both God and Jesus is with God and this will begin to stretch the limits of your mental capacity. Now if you can't tell, John is teaching clear doctrine here of the Holy Trinity. John didn't say, by the way, in the beginning were gods, multiple. He did not say in the beginning were the words, multiple. John's language makes it plain. He is speaking of one single God. Yet, John speaks plainly about Jesus, the word, being with God. The word is with God. And at the end of the verse, he's going to say that the word is God. Now, to say that Jesus is with God, in fellowship with God, that doesn't decrease Jesus' value in any way. Jesus is just as much God as is God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Yet, Jesus is with the Father and the Holy Spirit, facing one another, united with one another in a loving, holy relationship and union. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all perfectly united in a perfect relationship of love and fellowship as the one God. Let's get to point four, and we'll tie some of that, bit, that last bit together. Point number four, the only way I can say this is what the word is, Jesus is God. You get to write that down here, okay? Point four, Jesus is God. So if thinking about the Trinity, he's with God, but he's... God from the beginning. If that's what's to make your brain hurt, notice that John here says, and the word was God. So this is plain as day. The word is eternally extant. He was in the beginning. He has been in eternal fellowship with God. He is God. The deity, the godness of Jesus Christ is a crucial truth for the Christian life. 
Jesus is not a lower being. He is not less than God. He is not a little God. He is not a creation of God. Jesus is God. He is eternal. Jesus has always existed. He will always exist. There was never a time in eternity past when Jesus did not exist. Jesus is worthy of worship and every attribute that God has, Jesus has. He is the great Lord. He is slow to anger and abounding and loving kindness. Jesus is the great and holy God who will judge sin. Now, Jesus is not the Father and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but neither is he less than either or is he of a different essence. There is a perfect unity and a perfect distinction here in the Holy Trinity. You and I can't grasp it fully. We have to receive it on faith, but it is absolutely clearly here. Now, Some of you guys might have encountered groups in the past, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, who would say to you that verse 1 should be translated differently. And I would tell you that they mistranslate verse 1. They carry Bibles around with them that say, in the word was a God. Have you guys ever had someone tell you that one before? Yeah. Yeah. But the Bible here says, ours says, and the word was God. And that is the proper translation of the Greek. Now, you got to admit, though, it's a pretty big distinction, isn't it? One of the views says you ought to think Jesus is pretty special. The other view says Jesus is far more than special. He is God, God the creator, the God of the Bible, the only God that there is. The Jehovah's Witnesses look at Jesus as lower than the one true God, and they therefore misidentify Jesus. Well, why? The Jehovah's Witnesses have mistranslated the Greek of verse one. And they can make enough of an argument to confuse somebody if you don't have any background in the study of Greek or if you don't have any knowledge of Greek grammar. And that all has to do with the fact that the word for God, which is the Greek theos, typically, I mean, this is an elementary rule of thumb, typically, if you see theos with an article before it, like in English, articles is the word like the. If, if the Greek says the God, ha theos, it's talking about God with a big G. But if there's no the before it, if it's just theos by itself, it often means God with a little g, like idols and secondary gods or mini-gods or whatever. And here in John chapter 1, the Greek phrase is kaitheos en halagos. And that, if you know your Greek, would sound like, well, wait a minute, there's no, there's no article before God that sounds like little g God. Oh my goodness, the Jehovah's Witnesses are right. What do we do? But if you know a little bit more about Greek grammar, you will understand that there is another reason for the word theos not to have the the, the, the article before it. The grammar of the sentence shows us that John is not trying to indicate that Jesus is less than God. Instead, John is making sure by the way that he wrote the sentence that the order of the words in the last phrase has to be said and read and the word was God because John wants you not to be able to rearrange the words and say, and God was the word. John used the only grammatical tool available to him to say it that way. He had to write it that way, but there's no reason whatsoever to believe that he was trying to say God little g. None whatsoever. What John did when he says, and the word was God and didn't let you say and God was the word, is he kept you from thinking there's no distinction between the persons of the Trinity. You see, Jesus is absolutely, perfectly, truly God, but Jesus is not all that God is right? Jesus, the word is with God and is God, 
But John's not going to let you think that there is more than one God. This is Trinitarian theology, folks. And if your brain hurts, it's okay. To believe rightly about God requires that you avoid making a couple key mistakes, and you get it from here. There is only one God. There are not many gods. Jesus is not a lesser God or somehow not God. So never let yourself embrace any belief system that will separate Jesus from the one true God. Is that fair enough? Okay. Same time, the one true God exists as three persons. We call that the Holy Trinity. Jesus is not a lesser God. He's not in any way not God. But also, uh, oh gosh, I just arrowed up there. God is, is three persons, a holy trinity as one God. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all equal, all eternal, all distinct, all the one true God. The Father is not the Son, and the Father did not become the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit and did not become the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But these three persons are the one true God. Do not let yourself embrace any doctrine that diminishes God into anything less than those three persons who are one God. Our church statement of faith says it this way in the second point of the the church statement of faith. It says, quote, we believe that there is one living and true God eternally existing in three persons, namely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that these are equal in every divine perfection and that they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. Or the 1689 London Baptist Confession says it this way, the persons of the Godhead are of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided, and all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being. Okay, that's enough to hurt our heads, right? Getting the Trinity right, you can get into the glorious truth that Jesus, the Jesus we worship, The Jesus who came at Christmas 2,000 years ago, that Jesus is and has always been God. He's mighty to save. He's holy, perfect, and pure. He lacks nothing. He is not some wimpy, sappy weakling created by Hollywood. He's not some stoic, unfeeling, unemotional, aloof character created in some of our own minds. Neither is he a touchy-feely, all-embracing hippie who just wants above all else for you to get along and do whatever you want. He is the God of the Bible. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is glorious. And he is worthy of your worship. This book declares Jesus to be God. And you have to choose, will you accept or reject that truth? You cannot take a middle ground stance on it. If you call Jesus anything less than God, the Lord of all, you insult Jesus to the highest degree. And you rebel against God to your own destruction. So read the words of scripture here 
and let their truth become evident as you read this gospel and acknowledge that Jesus is truly God. Okay, up to point five. Are you still with me? Did we lose you in the philosophy? Okay, stick with me here. Point five, Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is not just the self-expression of God. He is God, the creator. All things were created through Jesus and nothing exists that Jesus didn't create. That is magnifies Jesus's deity. Now, sometimes I've, I've heard people who haven't thought this issue through very well. They think God the Father made everything by speaking everything into existence. And they think that Jesus, because it's, he's called the Son, is something God made, something lower or lesser than God. That is a false belief. That is a false doctrine. Jesus is the one through whom everything that exists, exists. If something was made, Jesus made it. Think about that. Are you made? If you're made, Jesus made you. Jesus is truly God, and we've got to respond to him with the reverence and the awe and the worship that we owe the God who created everything. By the way, if Jesus made everything that has been made, was Jesus made? No, you can't be made if you made everything that's been made. With me? One more. Something grammatically important right here. Here in verse 3, John says, through Jesus... All things were made. And the word made there is the Greek word that signifies something coming into being that did not previously exist. Egeneto. But I told you earlier, verse 1, when it said in the beginning was the word, didn't use egeneto there. John said in the beginning was the word. N-R-K, N-R-K, N-Halagos. And the Greek word there in verse 1 has nothing to do with coming into being. It's just the past tense of the word is or was. If there was a point when Jesus did not exist and Jesus then came into being, John would have had to use the word that we find here in verse 3 up in verse 1, and he didn't. If anything was created, Jesus created it. If anything ever came into being that previously was not, it came into being through Jesus' instrumentation. And let's be logical again. If nothing came into being apart from Jesus making it, then Jesus must not himself have come into being. Jesus has always existed. Only God has always existed. Therefore, Jesus is God. Point number six. Jesus possesses life in himself. This will be fast. Verse four, in him was life. Jesus has life in himself. You and I, we were given life, right? Our life is not our own. We cannot exist if God doesn't give us life. If God ever stops sustaining your life, you're gone. But Jesus has life in himself. Jesus was not given life by any person. Jesus was not made alive. He possesses his own life. And that makes Jesus infinitely superior to you and me. You know, in our experience... Everything we see depends on something else, right? But a thoughtful person has to understand that there must be a necessary being, a source, an uncreated creator at the head of everything. 
there has to be someone at the highest point of importance who started it all. There's got to be someone at the top of the list. There has to be an uncaused cause upon which everything else depends. And we call the uncreated creator the uncaused cause. We call that person God. And here when we say that Jesus has life in himself, we understand that he does not depend on anybody else. Jesus is the uncaused cause. Jesus is God. Now, beyond philosophy, we live in a world full of needs, don't we? We live in a world full of death and sorrow. But the Savior who came to earth, he has life. He's not getting that life from somebody. He's not borrowing from the power or the strength of another. Jesus brings life into the world that he made. So you tired of sickness? You tired of viruses? Tired of death? What a glorious thing to see that the creator and the giver of life, the one who possesses life in himself, he has come to earth. He has life in himself and he will give life to all who come to him. And he will absolutely, eternally defeat death. This is a reason to celebrate this Christmas. Last point. Jesus is the victorious light. Jesus is the victorious light. Verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John tells us here that Jesus' life, the life he possesses in himself, is the light of men. You know, throughout this gospel, John will use contrast. He'll, he'll contrast death to life. He'll contrast light and darkness. You're supposed to hate death and its effects on the world. You're supposed to hate darkness and the evils that it hides. We want the light of God to shine on us. And John tells us the light of Jesus shines in the world. But the darkness of the world has not, does not, will not overcome it. Now, interestingly, by the way, that that verb overcome it at the end of verse 5, and I don't know, depending on your translation, you might have one that says did not comprehend it or understand it. Anybody have an understand word instead of an overcome word? Okay. The Greek word... There, the, that I, the ESV does says overcome it, it can actually mean two different things. It can mean to comprehend or understand a thing, or it can mean to take hold of something so that you conquer it or overcome it. And what we find out is that from time to time in this gospel, John likes to use words and phrases that can be taken two ways, and that both of the ways that you can take them are true, which is really, really clever. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it, does not comprehend it. Does that sound true to you? The world we live in is blind to the truth of Jesus' identity and his holiness, isn't it? The world convinces itself that evil is good and that good is evil and lies are true. But Jesus created this world. The world doesn't even recognize him. The world doesn't receive him willingly. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it. 
But the darkness of this world also would like to attack and destroy Jesus' light of life. But the darkness cannot overcome it either. The darkness never could kill Jesus and keep him in the grave. And today, the darkness tries to overcome Jesus through sin, through worldly philosophies, through persecution, through lies, through all sorts of things. But the fact remains, the darkness of this world can and will never overcome, cannot and will never overcome the light of Jesus. Okay, so, so, what is, or who is Jesus? Jesus is eternally existent, God's self-expression, eternally in Trinitarian fellowship, truly God, the creator of all things, containing life in himself, not recognized by the darkness, and never overcome by the darkness. Recognize, dear friends, Jesus is God. And worship him as God. And follow him as God. And let others know about this truth too. Let me ask you, do you think it matters what you call Jesus? I mean, you're not going to change Jesus. But do you think it's appropriate to call the God of the universe something less? No. So of course it matters. Jesus is God and we dare not dishonor him by calling him a good man and nothing more. We dare not only think of him as a sweet babe in a manger. We dare not think of him only as a figurine in a nativity scene because from eternity past, Jesus is the uncreated God, the Son. He is God. And this may help you to understand why it is you must have Jesus if you want a relationship with God. See, Jesus is not one option among many for how you get to know God. Only Jesus is God the Son who came to earth to bridge the gap between sinful man and holy God. Jesus is the only way we can have peace with God. There is no other. To ignore or reject Jesus is to ignore and reject God. So friends, we need the grace of God to live. We need God's mercy. We need forgiveness. Jesus is God who came to the earth, who lived as a human, who died to pay for our sins, who rose from the grave, who lives eternally, and he invites us to come to him to find life. So I urge you, admit that you're a sinner before God and see that you can't do a single thing to make yourself likable or rescuable on your own. You can't do a single thing to fix your own situation. You can do nothing to rescue yourself. Give up the notion of being your own master. Surrender to God. Surrender to Jesus as you entrust your entire hope and your entire eternity to Jesus and Jesus alone. Ask Jesus to save you. Commit yourself to following him. Or as the Bible simply says, repent, believe, and be saved. And for you who know Jesus, as we close this message, we are going to move into a special celebration of what Jesus has done. We are celebrating today communion, Lord's Supper. The elements that we will share in, they will remind us that this Jesus, God the Son, he became a man and he sacrificed his life for us. He bled, he died to pay the penalty that you and I should have had to pay for our sins. And that would have been an unthinkable sacrifice for a good man. But this sacrifice wasn't made by merely a good man. It was made by God himself. 
Let that thought sink in and let it lead you to offer Jesus even more thanks than ever before and let your heart be drawn even closer to Jesus Christ this Christmas as you recognize Jesus is God and he gave everything for your salvation. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we pause now to again say thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the Son. Thank you that Jesus is God. Lord, as we sit here, we acknowledge with absolute clarity we are sinners and we are hopeless without your saving grace. And our only hope is in Jesus, God the Son. Lord, help us get it right so we can worship Jesus rightly. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen.